0: Leduc's photo radar is a brocco lie. This week, the first round of listening sessions for the People's Agenda have wrapped up. We'll talk with our business overlords about what that means. Plus, Leduc has scrapped photo radar, and Edmonton City Council has scrapped a temporary daytime shelter. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 127, where you'll notice in the opening, I didn't say business daddy, which represents my (laughs) podcast co-host. We have got the whole business family on the episode today, and we'll be talking about Taproot's listening sessions. But of course, we can't talk about that before we burn through the rapid fire. Newly
1: first dose vaccinated Don Iveson has challenged Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi to a Battle of Alberta vaccine edition a friendly competition to see which city can vaccinate more of their adult populations. The two retiring mayors are both hoping for a strong uptake in COVID vaccines this summer, followed by an inoculation on October 18th against idiotic mayoral candidates from Ward 11, a virus plaguing both cities right now.
2: With recent approval by AGLC, the Edmonton Valley Zoo is now approved for site-wide alcohol consumption. The on-site caterers will be offering beer, wine, and Prosecco, among other drinks. In a press release, the Valley Zoo said even Bob Barker would have to admit that Lucy is having fun now.
0: This week, the Edmonton Journal reported that EPL has seen a 110% increase in checkouts of e-videos. These are different from just videos in that you e-click on them with your e-mouse on your e-computer when you e-watch them with your e-yes. Oh, sorry, eyes. Speaking municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast
1: Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Writing is Your Nature, a live online masterclass for nature, environment, and outdoor writers created by Pandemic University and the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative. Running from May 11th to the 25th, Writing is Your Nature was designed to sharpen your nonfiction writing through the lens of ecology and conservation. It's free and open to the public to learn from guest professors like Chris Turner, a best-selling author and leading voice on the climate crisis, and Sarah Gilman, an MIT Knight Science Journalism Fellow, who will break down how to pitch and get paid to write science and nature stories. You can register for the Masterclass series at pandemicuniversity.com. Pandemic University is an Alberta-made virtual writing school on a mission to dull the impact of COVID-19 for professional and emerging writers alike. Head to PandemicUniversity.com to register now.
0: So I guess this episode is Karen Unland, who is the co-founder of Taproot Edmonton, but many people don't know that she was also pretty instrumental in starting this podcast. A couple summers ago, when Mac and I were talking about doing this, we were both hemming and hawing and thinking, "Eh, should we do this? How should we release it? And then Karen heard the idea and said, are you stupid? Of course, people want to listen to this. And go figure, it's 127 episodes later. So welcome to the either success of your creation or the horrible, grotesque outcomes of your creation, Karen.
2: Oh, th- thank you. This is like a, a proud part of whatever uh, legacy I may claim. I'm, I'm, I love instigating podcasts, especially local podcasts, and especially ones that are of the high quality and delightfulness of yours.
0: We uh, talked before the show, uh, we realized very quickly, well, some shows get a live studio audience to just <laughs> cheer and applaud. And I think that's going to be a perfect setup for the, the whole segment is just if you could just at regular intervals accolade us for how great sure. we're doing. That'd be amazing.
2: It, it mirror the real life experience because honestly, I don't know that there has been an episode of Speaking Municipally that did not cause me to laugh out loud at least once. I find you very funny.
0: Well, that's Troy. Definitely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, see.
0: <laughs> so given that it's the uh, business daddy and in full business family on the show, we should actually talk business. And there's been plugs in the past few episodes about the People's Agenda listening sessions for Taproot Edmonton. And of course, uh, being the co-founder of Taproot Edmonton, you were a big part of that. And the sessions have wrapped up this past week. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So just to remind people that People's Agenda Project is our way of preparing ourselves to cover the municipal elections that are coming up in October without ending up in the sort of um, rut that election coverage often falls into, which is horse race coverage, kind of who's winning, who's losing, or scandal, like who made a gaffe, who hurt his or her chances. We think that An election has a a better informed electorate if we actually tell people what the issues are (laughs) that the uh, candidates are going to be, you know, eventually the, the ones that are elected are going to be making decisions about. And so we want to try to do our part to make the coverage of the election relevant and not beholden to that spectacle. So we started by asking people, what key issue do you want the candidates to be talking about as they compete for your votes in the 2021 municipal election? We have had about 200 people fill out uh, our form to say what was bugging them. And then we looked at the first bunch of those answers that came in towards the end of last year and said, "Okay, these are the themes that these fall into, about eight themes um, around what is concerning people and and what they want to know, what way that people are likely to vote on, on different issues that are related to that. And so we thought, okay, so then how do we find out more and deeper than just like a one answer on a forum to that question? And so we thought, well, let's convene people. It's easy to convene people now. Everybody's on zoom all the time. (laughs) And so uh, we organized eight of these listening sessions around each of the buckets of questions that we synthesized from from those answers. Today was the last one about around the question will we build our city intelligently and it's been fascinating to to hear what people say.
0: So broadly what did people say? Now, I'm a bit of a cynic and You know, even when I was running for council, I didn't really believe in the value of consultation because I know better than people. Um, (laughs) So when you talk about the people's agenda and, you know, there's questions about, you know, how should we build our city? Well, with fewer cars, you know, what should we do about climate change? Well, we should stop it. You see, I have all the answers already. (laughs) Were Were there any responses or comments that made you pause and think, oh, that's a good point, or oh, that's really going to drive coverage in an interesting direction, or something along those lines?
2: Yeah, I heard lots of those. First of all, what we were, the way we tried to frame the discussion was to ask people to talk about their experience. So they weren't really, I mean, there was lots of opportunities for people to advocate for a point of view. But mostly what I'm very curious about is what's, making your life challenging. And what would you like to see improved about the city? And when you're deciding who to vote for, what's going to tip your scale one way or the other? So everybody's an expert in their own concerns, right? And so I heard so many interesting points of view or uh, experiences based ideas around social procurement for example just the idea of what decisions should be made when the city is deciding what t- services and and products to buy and how how else can we calculate the the value of something beyond just the price tag of it i heard a lot of really interesting ideas around um police funding and just a very good reinforcement, I think, of the things that came out of the task force on well-being and community safety. And we heard a bunch of real people who really care about their city and are engaged on a lot of different topics. And I think the overall arching thing that I drew from this is that even though we tried to kind of cookie cutter a bunch of issues into buckets. Everything is related to everything. That's something that we need to think about as we're writing further stories about the election issues. But it's also something to think about as voters because one issue candidates don't serve their city well, and there's right. always going to be a whole bunch of uh, trade offs and compromises and unintended consequences that people have to deal with when they're in power. And we want to try to find people who are smart enough to be able to navigate that.
0: I guess one of the questions I have, and whoops, don't cancel the podcast for asking hard (laughs) questions. When you think about post-media and you think of the conservative bent that the uh, chain is going on and how there's been a directive, allegedly, to slant coverage towards a more conservative viewpoint, and that's drawn a lot of criticism against postmedia. I can imagine that something like this might have a similar skew from the other side. You know, you're organizing Zoom meetings, typically within the daytime work hours. There's a particular type of reader that will listen or read this type of news versus going to a different organization. So there's there's some self-selection bias in this process. And if this is the foundation for the coverage of the election, does that not bias the coverage of the election towards one particular viewpoint?
2: If we just stopped here, I suppose that that might be a possibility. This is just the first round of more asking people what they want the election to be about. Again, it's, we're not gathering people's opinions on who they want to vote for. Or what's part of the political spectrum are they on? We're asking them what's concerning you. So I take your point that a certain kind of person shows up for uh, this kind of thing. There's probably going to be a a political bent. And and I think that the people that came to our, our first round of listening sessions definitely would be on the progressive side of the spectrum and care about a lot of the The same things that, that, frankly, we care about um, when when it comes to that. But I don't think that that necessarily has an effect on our coverage because our coverage is going to be about... further explaining and diving more deeply into the things that people said they cared about. No matter what side of an issue you're on, the the so-called left or the so-called right of an issue, a better explanation of how it actually works and what would a mayor or a city councilor be able to do about that And if you care about that thing, eventually we'll we'll be generating a voter's guide out of this. And so eventually we'll be saying, if you care about this thing, these are the people who are pro and these are the people who are against, who are running, right? We're just trying to equip people with actual information so that they make an informed vote instead of voting for somebody that they've heard of or the person that came to their door and they really like them or don't vote at all because they literally don't know the difference between any of them.
0: So you've alluded to a couple things, uh, you know, a voter's guide, some additional coverage. What's next? What's the next step? And what's this going to look like going forward in the next, what is it, five months until I mean, the election?
2: Yeah. So the metaphor I've been thinking about is uh Mining, which maybe, I don't know, that's not a very green metaphor, but. gather up all of like the the rocks and the dirt and the, the everything and then you sift through it for the ore you sift through it for what you're looking for and that's so we've got so much material now to go through and find patterns and look for opportunities to better explain and opportunities to dive deeper into things so that's the next step is to take all of the information that we've taken in over the past eight weeks plus all of the answers that have come in to our form since we drafted the first People's Agenda. Synthesize that into a second draft of the People's Agenda, which will look similar to the first one, but be deeper and more, um, have more nuance in it and more complexity with it. And then that is going to be the base document for stories that, like deeper feature stories that TabRoot will publish over the summer. And then in September, as soon as nominations close, we are going to go go after we're going to go and ask all of the candidates that are for sure running where they stand on all of those issues or gather up their views on those issues from the other media that that uh, quote them and then produce this voters guide that says this is where these candidates stand on all of the issues that you said were important
0: to you. Well, since this podcast is a vehicle for shilling Taproot, uh, let's talk about the story that was published just this morning that uh, if you are a true subscriber, uh, one of the ardent believers, you will have already read. And that's a story that, Mac, you wrote about branded graphics from city councillors. Yes,
1: I really shouldn't be writing stories, Karen. But I wrote a story (laughs) this week about uh, councillors who have been sharing things on social media and I was really interested in votes. So I've noticed this trend where council decides on something, they come to some sort of a conclusion. And some councillors like Councillor Knack, for instance, will post maybe a screenshot of the vote or a screenshot of the text of the motion, or he'll make a whole tweet thread or something like that explaining the motion. And then there's other councillors, and I noticed Councillor Paquette did this very recently, who will make some sort of a branded graphic. So it's not a city of Edmonton graphic. It's a um, Aaron Paquette Ward 4, you know, colors and logo graphic that says, you know, what the outcome of the vote was, or we did it or, or something along those lines. Right. And I was very curious about this. I wanted to know, you know, is, is this a good thing, a bad thing? I didn't know
0: why they were doing this. And so I asked a bunch of counselors about that. What was the result? I, cause I remember you ran this story passed me when you were saying, hey, is this a thing? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I have noticed this a lot. And I opined that it's sort of like a bleed down from provincial politics. We see it with party politics and, you know, the graphics make you part of the team, mm-hmm. so to say. Uh, what did the councillors say?
1: It wasn't really so much about that. I mean, there was a certain thread around building awareness in social media. And so Counselor Zadic talked about how his team looked at this and and identified that, you know, elected officials who use branded graphics, who use consistent look and feel are able to grow their reach more effectively. And that's important because he wants to be able to reach all of his constituents. Um, Councillor Cartmell also said something similar, although not about votes, but just about like whenever he shares a consultation event, he's doing like using a consistent brand and graphic with it. So there was that aspect of it. But where the answers went almost right away was to misinformation. And I wasn't really prepared for this. I wasn't maybe expecting this. I probably should have been. But you know, Councillor Nack said that he avoids doing this using these branded graphics because he doesn't want to share any sort of misinformation, and and Councillor Paquette said the reason he does do these graphics is because he doesn't want to share misinformation, and so uh, Councillor Paquette's perspective is that you know these things get posted online, they get shared on all different kinds of sites, it goes to Reddit or Facebook or wherever, and you never know where that graphic came from, and he feels like if his logo is on it, if it says it's from you know, the office of Ward 4 Councillor Aaron Paquette that people can trust it. And and he also says, you know, that council can be pretty obtuse at times, as we know from paying attention every single week. And, and so it can be easy to spin it. And so he wanted to try to simplify that message a little bit. And that was another um, sort of theme I heard is that, you know, anything we can do to get the message out about what's happening at city council is a good thing, but, you know, that's dangerous too.
0: I think it's really interesting to hear Paquette's comments on that specifically because in the past couple of weeks, we've been sort of a part of that. I mean, I like to say, you know, we're a pretty, not necessarily unbiased news source, but (laughs) a fair and objective news source that you can trust. And, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we've reported what Aaron Paquette had said about the uh, transit fare increase and, you know, that it was something that administration had to do because of the shortfall, et cetera, et cetera. And I actually chatted with him about that quote after, and it's something he said. That was a true fact that we were reporting, but he said he was talking about it as a rhetorical argument, as discussing what administration was presenting to the speakers. Are we wrong to report it? Well, you know, you can cut it any way. You can say context. You can have all those discussions. But to his credit, maybe that's the point with uh, his branded graphics when you see his branded graphics, you know that this is what Aaron Paquette is thinking, not necessarily a quote taken out of context. And so like, it's really interesting that you can have two counselors say the same thing. This is about misinformation, but come down on completely opposite sides of it with him and knack.
1: I agree. And that's why I said I was sort of unprepared for it. Uh, I decided to reach out to Uh, Neil Fitzpatrick, he's an assistant professor of journalism and communications at McEwen, and asked him about this. Uh, It's obviously something he thinks a, a lot about and teaches students about. And I mean, he said, first of all, you know, it's not surprising. This is the way social media is going. It's becoming more visual. It makes sense that they would do this. But he pointed out that, you know, just because Aaron Paquette put it out there, and just because it's clear in his graphic, doesn't necessarily mean it's true right? I mean, there's definitely still the chance that a counselor could post something that spins that news a little bit or, you know, yeah, fully (laughs) honest with the facts. So he was saying that there's still a need for this intermediary, right? For journalists to say, let's check that out. Let's make sure that's accurate. And uh, I guess that's where we come in, Karen.
2: Well, it is. I mean, but the damage is already done if we're waiting for that to happen. So I find it so interesting that Paquette thinks that there's legitimacy that's conferred by this format because to me, and it's like my old eyes, my 51-year-old eyes, whenever something is packaged in a marketing kind of way, I'm less likely to believe it than I am just straight up text like what NAC tends to, to share. Am I, it, like, am I wrong? Like, doesn't it look spun when it's all pretty like that?
0: Perhaps that's the point. Most council votes sure are unanimous. The contentious ones aren't. And reporting, if you go to CTV, if you go to Global Edmonton, typically the result will say city council decided this. But if it's a, you know, 8-3 vote, typically it's not a breakdown of what specifically happened. So when you have for example, um, John Zadig did this recently with, with his motion to delay the bus network redesign. He put out a graphic that said, you know, the motion to delay the bus network redesign has failed. Whereas another councillor who was on the winning side might say, the motion to prevent the bus network redesign has been stopped. The wording change can portray where the has come down on it, which is a communication exercise for their constituents, I would argue, because, you know, you want to show your constituents that you're working for them.
2: But it's also can easily slide into campaigning. And I don't think they should be doing that from those accounts.
0: Oh, well, I've got very bad news for you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Load up Mike Nichols Twitter right now.
2: No, but I, but, but he's not the exemplar that we want to um, no, suggest for people. Not. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I just think that if the intention of this is to communicate to constituents, I guess that's okay. But when it slides into, and it's got to be flashy and we want to get a lot of reach out of it and we want to make sure that it gets lots of engagement. We are not informing. We are marketing now. and electioneering in some cases. And I don't know that that's the best use of the medium. The horse is so far out of the barn. You can't see it by now on that, I realize. but
0: Mac and I, I don't know if you know, we host a podcast about municipal politics. (laughs) I've looked at our downloads numbers. So isn't there an argument to be made that advertising and marketing is informing when we have such low engagement overall with people with their municipal politics. Well, I,
2: I, that's the argument that the, the counselors who do this sort of thing are making. But I I think it's counterproductive if it, it's wrapped in a, in a package that causes only people who agree with you to accept or engage with what you're putting out there. You're not supposed to be talking to your fans. You're supposed to be talking to everybody.
1: The part about that that makes even less sense to me is Counselor Nickel, right? And you talk about speaking to his fans. He'll He'll do this with the graphics. He'll make a graphic that says you know, the other side is so terrible, these guys all voted to defund the police. But then he'll go and block everybody who you would think he would want to see that message. Like, it's not a very effective marketing strategy,
0: right? You know, I don't know that we have time or the inclination on this to delve into the inner machinations of Casey <laughs> Nichols' mind.
2: <laughs> this is a small point, but I've been thinking about it since I've been trying to get my head around accessibility and trying to be disciplined around writing good alt text for our photos on Taproot and and things like that. These graphics, if they don't have alt text on them, they're not accessible. They can't be read by a screen reader. So that's like another problem as far as this being a communications tool, I
0: think. Also, they're posted on Twitter, um, yeah. <laughs> any medium that says you have 280 characters to make your point probably isn't one for nuanced political discussion. That's probably true. Yeah. Speaking of some nuanced political discussion, Leduc has entirely scrapped their photo radar program. Mac, this one caught me out of left field. What was going on down in Leduc this week? Yeah, fascinating. They talked about this
1: at City Council and voted to get rid of all automated traffic enforcement. So this is speed cameras, red light cameras, etc. All in favor of manned traffic stops instead. Uh, One of the reasons they gave for this is that there's been a staffing increase to their municipal traffic unit. Um, But the other reason they said is that they continually hear negative feedback from residents about automated traffic enforcement. Shocker. They decided to get rid of it, even though the city of Leduc said they're going to lose over $200,000 in revenue from those photo radar tickets this year alone.
0: People will recognize Leduc as when you're going 130 on the QE2 and you go over that little bridge that curves <laughs> to the left. That's the one where you get your photo radar ticket. <laughs> the revenue there, I mean, and it was only a couple of years ago that Leduc was saying, no, this is a safety corridor. We need automated enforcement because Speeding is such a problem on this specific area. The about face just a couple of years later, that was pretty shocking to me. I have to say, is there an election going on or something? (laughs) Right. I mean, the mayor, Bob Young, said that we've heard the voice
1: of this community with respect to photo radar.
0: The other question I have is how much of this was their hands being forced by the provincial government? Because in Edmonton, you know, we're keeping photo radar around, but we're projecting hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in losses because of provincial changes to photo radar, restricting sites, restricting usage. So, you know, maybe the writing was on the wall that, well, if we're already taking a hit to our program, maybe let's just take the political win and banish it completely.
1: Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of money that Edmonton's losing for for that. You'd think they'd want to fight for that
0: a little bit rather than just get rid of it. But I guess the last thing we want to talk about today was interesting to me because We've seen council have a sort of unified front in general against houselessness in Edmonton and supporting affordable housing and shelter space and various supports for people experiencing houselessness in Edmonton. And that's always so surprising to me that not council, but committee has voted down a proposal for $4 million for a new temporary daytime shelter that would have been operated by the Bissell Center at 105 Avenue and 105 Street downtown just this summer until October 31st. Yeah, this would have accommodated 60 people. The
1: main reason we're led to believe about this is that local business owners were concerned about increased disorder in the area if they opened another shelter. And councilor Scott McKean basically said that, you know, the the downtown business community, the neighborhoods near there have basically spoken and they've had to deal with all these kinds of issues, break-ins and all kinds of stuff, and so he said he couldn't support um, opening the shelter. And then he did a, la- a later interview and kind of reiterated the point that council has been unanimous on, which is that, you know, we really need funding from other orders of government to solve this. But that doesn't change the fact that they decided not to approve this uh,
0: day shelter. And this day shelter would be pretty significant because the shelter in the Edmonton Convention Center uh, will be closing quite soon. And that was accommodating 300 people 24 7. So there's soon going to be 300 people with less of a space to fill during the day. Yeah, and the mayor said that, you know, when we
1: didn't do anything for folks who came out of the 24-7 shelter last year, that potentially that contributed to the growth of encampments. And he obviously doesn't want to see that again this year. And the city has said they've just released an updated encampment strategy to deal with that. There is going to be a replacement shelter from the Hope Mission uh, on the Northland site, but, you know, there's still not enough for the need. And uh, it's disappointing to see that they... Um, haven't approved this one. They did approve, we should say, two other contracts for the Bissell Center community space and a separate one um, with Boyle Street um, to support uh, shelters. But to
0: have this other temporary shelter, they voted down. So administration was proposing the use of $4 million for the shelter. Do we have $4 million running spare now that we've turned it down? Well, I mean, kind of. Insofar as council
1: ever has money running spare, they're going to talk about it at council next week and decide... Uh, what other options might be on the car- in the cards for this uh, $4 million.
0: Something that's always in the cards for this time of the podcast episode is an ad. You get to hear about the Well Endowed podcast from the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul, Elizabeth Bonkink, and produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. The latest episode features master gardener and beekeeper Dustin Bajor. You can subscribe at the Podcast.com. And honestly, if you don't know how to subscribe to The Well Endowed Podcast after 127 episodes of this being a title sponsor for Speaking Municipally, you haven't been listening to the podcast quite hard enough. And Karen here, she's got some lessons to you on how to be an engaged <laughs> listener to speak municipally.
2: Um, And you know what? I'm going to correct you because there is a new word that you're supposed to use with podcasts now. Now that Apple has changed away from the word subscribe for free podcasts like the Well Endowed Podcast and Speaking Municipally are, you're supposed to say follow now and not subscribe. Follow? Tim Cook can't
0: tell me how to live my life. (laughs) (laughs) I will say you can follow Speaking Municipally uh, wherever your podcasts are. Apparently sold now because <laughs> Ethel is doing that. Um, and of course, edmonton.taproot.news for everything Taproot has been up to, including that story we talked about earlier on in the episode about uh, counselors and their branded media. I think that's it. Karen, you're a first-time guest, long-time first-time type thing. Mm-hmm. How was it? You know, was it the best <laughs> experience you've ever had?
2: No, it's terrifying. I like <laughs> feel like I'm going to like sound dumb, so... <laughs>
1: impossible not possible
2: it's uh, it, it, thank you so much for letting me come and and burble on about my big uh our our big project it's it's ambitious and and try thank you for reining in your cynicism slightly for me
0: well uh we'll be back next week with all the cynicism that a podcast can <laughs> handle and mac i believe next week is the big one right We have a special guest next week. Oh, there will be cynicism abound. You won't want to miss (laughs) it. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Karen. And we're Speaking speaking municipally.
2: Municipally.